Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast. This is Austin Buckland. I appreciate you tuning in today um, and listening. It's been a little bit uh, since I've posted an episode, um, so I'm I'm glad to be able to post another one and, and have you listening to it. Hopefully you can take some good messages from it. A seventh grader named Bill was given an assignment at school one day to write a paper on success. After thinking about what he was going to call this paper, he finally settled on the title, Success is Simply Happiness. When he told this title to his father at the dinner table that night before the assignment was due, his father set down his fork on the table, and he looked directly at him and said, All of my friends didn't die happy in the war. Are you telling me that they were not successful? As Billy sat next to his siblings in silence, they understood that this was a defining moment in their lives. Billy realized at dinner that night that happiness does not equal success, and success does not always mean happiness. That's a question I think each one of us is constantly examining in our own lives. What is success? Success can be measured in many different ways by many different people. When a woman named Hetty Green died in 1916, her estate was estimated to be worth just shy of $100 million, which is almost $2.7 billion in today's dollars. Press reports labeled her as the wealthiest woman in the world. But the thing is, she also had another, less flashy title. She was known as the Witch of Wall Street. She was so mean that apparently her son had to have his leg amputated because of delays in her searching for free medical treatment. She lived on cold oatmeal because she was too mean to heat it, and she died of a stroke in an argument over the virtues of skimmed milk. Henrietta, though rich, was not a success in living life. For some, success might mean having a fulfilling job in which you can make a difference in society while still having enough money to pay your expenses and still have enough time for family or activities you enjoy. To some, it's defined by what kind of an education you have or where you went to school. Some would say it's measured by how much money you have in the bank or how big your house is. It was said many years ago that your potential success was determined by how high your IQ was. Today, our culture might view that someone is successful when they've reached millions of Instagram followers. But do these things accurately define success? How does God define success? What does a successful Christian life look like? In navigating our journey of faith and life today, what is spiritual perfection? Can we reach it? By dictionary definition, success is defined as the achievement of something desired, planned, or attempted. In other words, you have to be aiming at your goal before you can claim success. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to make my life count for God. I want to be successful, not in what the world thinks of me, but I want to be successful in the eyes of God. Other than Jesus himself, I don't suppose anyone was much more successful at making their life count for God Than the Apostle Paul. In the text that we're going to be studying today, Paul tells the secret to his extraordinary success and making his life count for God. Let's look and see how he did it. Uh, Starting in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3, 
He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul obviously had a lot going for his resume of faith. If we had accomplished just some of the things that Paul had, I'd say it might be easy to lead ourselves into thinking that, hey, I've really made it, that I've arrived on some kind of spiritual high. Paul had made long missionary journeys. He planted churches, preaching the gospel and giving strength and encouragement to early Christians along the way. Of the 27 books that make up the New Testament, Paul is credited as the author of 13 of them. But Paul said, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it. He's basically saying, I am not perfect. Paul even wrote to Timothy saying, Timothy, this is a true saying and it's worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul called himself the biggest sinner of them all. He didn't think he was good enough. Well, Paul relates to the same things that we feel today. I'm struggling with all the same things you're struggling with, he's saying. I'm the chief of sinners. I have to watch what I say and what I do and where I go and what I think. If you think you've already arrived at perfect faith, you are off target. Paul was not good enough. And I'm here to tell you today, folks, every single one of you, you are not good enough to get into heaven because of your own goodness. I am not good enough to get into heaven because of my own goodness. I need the blood of Jesus, and you need the blood of Jesus. You see, mercy and grace make up for our human weaknesses and imperfections. I heard a story recently about a man who came up to his preacher at a Christian retreat and told him that he had reached a state of spiritual perfection, really feeling good about himself. And without a word, the preacher picked up a pitcher of ice water and poured it on the man's head. Now, when the man became furious and reacted like most normal people would if cold water were poured on their head, the preacher said, well, now I know exactly what spiritual perfection you've come to. Well, you see, true spiritual success, true spiritual perfection is not a destination. It's a journey. And that journey is faith. Don't ever fall into the trap of thinking that you're good enough or that you've arrived at your goal. If you become satisfied with where you are right now, then you've already given up. We should constantly be striving to be better and stronger in our faith. The way we view being a winner or successful sits in the way we view ourselves and the way we view God. It comes down to our attitude. Think about what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The thing is, you believe what's in your heart. The thoughts and inclinations of your heart shape the reality of what you are. They shape your thinking, which will ultimately shape your actions. The only thing that can keep you from being a winner is you making the choice to give up. Failure is having no ambition to grow because you are okay with just being okay. 
Now, this doesn't mean that we can't be content with our circumstances, because Paul also teaches us the importance of being content with what we have. A baby is fine with drinking milk, and that's all right, because that's all they need at the time. They're happy with it. But if a six-year-old is still only drinking milk and not eating or even wanting to eat real food, then there's a real problem, isn't there? A college student can be content and happy with eating ramen noodles, but that doesn't mean they don't want to work towards eating steak and potatoes eventually. The key is that we should be striving to be better each and every single day. We should be trying harder and harder to be more like Jesus. If you think that you're there and you've reached it, then you're wrong, and maybe humility is what you need to work on. But here's the good news. The good news is that we can be good enough through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, we might not be capable of righteousness, but we have someone who is righteous on our side. God has made us right in his eyes through our faith. If you watch any interviews or documentaries with famous people, you'll usually hear the question come up to successful people all the time. What is the secret to all of this? People want to know how they did it so they can duplicate it. Now, you'll usually hear answers along the lines of, it's all because of my hard work. I'd come in early and I'd stay late. Or, it was determination. I was determined that I would succeed. Well, there's probably some truth to those statements, and a hard work ethic can be a godly trait. The good news for all of us as Christians is that the secret to success is no secret at all. God didn't intend for success to be something that we accidentally stumble across, looking for some kind of lost treasure somewhere. But Paul gives us a list of things to do. He revealed how to find it in our text. Number one today, forget what is behind. Paul says in our text, one thing I do, forget what is behind. He gives a similar idea in Hebrews 12 verse 1 when he says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. No matter how much you regret what your past consists of, there's absolutely nothing you're going to do to change it. And as Christians, oftentimes, that's a difficult truth to accept. Because now that we're in a relationship with God, we're ashamed of the things that we did in our prior life. But if you're driving your car down the road and you're staring in your rearview mirror, you're going to crash. It's inevitable. We cannot live up to the glory that God has called us to if we can't let go of the things that hold us back and hold us down. David had committed murder and adultery. Moses killed an Egyptian out of anger. Paul spent most, most of his younger grown-up life persecuting Christians. He searched them out, and he hunted them down to put them to death. But God had bigger plans for each one of them, and they needed to let go of their past before they could move on to a successful future. Now, it's clear that Paul has not forgotten his previous lifestyle, but however, he does not dwell there. Isaiah 43 verse 18 states, Overlook the former issues. Do not dwell on the previous. 
And this is what we have to do. We're not going to forget all the things in our past. There's going to be times when one thing that occurred is going to replay itself in our minds. But don't dwell there, though. Do not let it hold you back from the greater things that God is doing in your life. Be taught from it, but however, do not reside in it. How many might-have-beens occupy your mind? These might-have-beens are the same as what-ifs. If only I had not done this. This might have happened if I had only taken that step. But a thousand ifs are like a thousand bolts on the door to success and moving forward. By a deliberate choice on your part, you can move into action and you can become a winner through a positive spiritual attitude. Even moving forward, we're not going to be perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall. But we have to step out in faith and take action to live boldly for Christ. I heard a story about a new bank president who met with his predecessor, and he asked him, I'd like to know what have been the keys to your success. The older gentleman looked at him, and he replied, Young man, I can sum it up to you in two words, good decisions. To that, the young man responded, Well, sir, I thank you immensely for that advice, but how does one come to know what are the good decisions? One word, young man, replied the sage, experience. Well, that's all well and good, said the young man, but how does one get experience? Two words, said the elder, bad decisions. Well, we've all made bad choices and bad decisions, but failure does not have to be fatal. With the wisdom of God's word, there's time to turn things around. We can enjoy the spiritual success of good decision-making. It's possible that some people's problem with the past could be what others have done. Some people are quick to bring up at the earliest opportunity what friends or family have done that hurt them in the past. But Paul makes a clear case of why we need to pay attention to what's before us and not what's behind. When you let go of the past, you open the door to a bright new future. Your past is a tool used by the devil to keep you in the past. But if you press forward, then God has already prepared your future reward. We're told in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 that God will forgive our wickedness and remember our sins no more. Saul the persecutor became Paul the apostle. He had to release his old identity in order to move forward in the purposes to which God had called him to. And as a believer, he had to consider his past as garbage for the sake of completely possessing the riches of Christ. When we come to God and we obey his word and his will, we no longer identify with the devil or with our old way of life, our old identity. Forgetting your past releases your future. Lamentations chapter 3 verses 22 and 23 says, that the Lord's compassions are new every morning. But this only works if you are a new creation. If you keep on reliving your old ways, you might miss partaking in the newness of His mercies. We have to allow ourselves to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, as it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2.
Matthew chapter 9 verse 17 says, Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. We need to move forward from our past in line with his grace. Allowing the past to creep into your life today will hinder your future and it's going to hold you back from a successful Christian life. Number two, we need to strain toward what is ahead. We need to strain toward what lies ahead. When we think of the act of straining, we probably think of a workout. People strain their muscles when they're trying to build strength. My high school phys ed teacher loved wearing t-shirts with the slogan, No pain, no gain. And if we're straining forward, if we're pressing on, then it means that nothing is going to take us away from our goals for Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 39 says that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Detours can be so frustrating sometimes, can't they? Well, detours are distractions from our original intended route that we had planned to take. When we get in our cars, we usually have a destination in mind. Typically, we know how we plan to get there to include the roads and highways we intend to take along the way. But on some occasions, though, we run into these occasional detours. Well, they're unexpected and they're inconvenient. Maybe a police officer redirects traffic down a different road or a sign informs you that your route is closed. They take us off our intended route and as such, it takes us longer than we had planned to get to our final destination. A straight line is simple and an uninterrupted journey is preferable compared to a whole lot of stopping and starting. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have a destiny. From an eternal perspective, We know what our destiny is, to be in God's presence forever, worshiping Him. But our focus here is on the present destiny, the one He has for us in this life. In other words, where are we going in the life we have today? God has a plan for your life and a purpose for your existence. The reason you weren't just taken to heaven the moment after you were baptized and became a Christian is because He has a purpose on earth for you to fulfill. It's not just to get a job or collect a paycheck or to pay bills or to have fun on the weekend. There is a God-designed plan for your life, but he rarely ever takes us to that destiny apart from detours. He seldom takes us from point A to B without causing us to make stops at P, X, and Q along the way. When you take a detour, your traveling, your time, and your safety is now in the hands of the construction workers who mapped out the alternative route. If you can just pause your initial frustration for a second in a detour, you can turn it into curiosity as you travel along roads that you might have otherwise never seen on the way to your destination. Sometimes they allow you to discover new places and new treasures if you'll just open your eyes to it. Of course, traffic detours are a very literal example, but what about the detours that we take or we are given in life, the ones that catch us off guard, leaving us frustrated, confused, curious, and heartbroken? Why did this have to happen, God? Why right now? Why me? The temptation is to become discouraged 
maybe even angry at God. But to fulfill his purpose, we have to strain ahead, pressing on towards the goal. Sometimes faith requires a great deal of perseverance. Maybe we just need to take a step back and see if there's purpose in the pain, a purpose to bring us closer to our goals in Christ. Romans 8 verse 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. To make it through those detours in life, our focus needs to be on what lies ahead, on what our ambitions are, on what our destination is. Whether a successful person's views are worldly or godly, they all have something in common. You know what that is? They never run out of goals. And you know why? It's because they set new goals. They set their expectations constantly bigger and higher when they reach their old goals. The business person is planning for expansion and innovative ideas. The athlete is training to run faster and jump even higher. And the Christian is finding new ways to share their faith and reach out to people through God's love with their words and actions. Winning people refuse to sit back and settle with where they're at. That's one of the vital keys to winning. It's action. If you expect to move forward and excel in your field of work, then you have to start acting and thinking like a winner. This means that you become a person of action, actions that lead to winning. God wants his creation to be winners. Do you believe that? Unless you believe that, you will not achieve the good, successful life in Christ. God is on your side. As believers in God, we must never be content to get by with less than our very best. And when we do our best, that's what makes us winners. Jesus has called us to be winners. You know how I know that? Because the alternative is losing. God did not call you or I to be failures or losers. Most people at least understand that winning and being successful basically means the opposite of losing. Nobody wants to be a loser, do they? There was a young man one time with a skull tattoo on his shoulder, and under it was written, born loser. Well, that's simply not true. Nobody is a born loser. We become losers by freedom of choice, our own choices, not the choices of anyone else. Goals and dreams can keep you alive. It's not by chance that only 8% of people die in the three months prior to their birthday, but 43% die within three months after their birthday. Why is that? Well, someone says, if I can just reach my birthday, I'll be ready to go. Or if I can just live to see my family at Christmas, then I can die in peace. Now, to you, that might not be a very ambitious goal, but nonetheless, it's one that keeps people alive. Well, what's your dream? What's your goal in life? What do you want to accomplish? John enrolled in college and he decided to become a preacher. He shared his dream with his roommate in his stutter-filled sentence. The roommate answered him, John, you will never make it. You can't even talk plainly and people just are not going to listen to you. But John repeated his goal, stuttering along once again. He had a dream. There was a young lady on the campus that John just absolutely admired. She was beautiful. She was the homecoming queen, and she had received several honors. John told his roommate, I'm going to date Mary Lou. 
<laughs> his roommate laughed and said, John, she can go out with any guy on the campus. She isn't even going to give you the time of day. Just forget about it. I don't care, said John. I'm going to ask her anyways. Well, one day John approached Mary Lou and he said, Mary Lou, I want to go out with you. She had a shocked look on her face and she answered, what did you just say, John? John repeated the line. I said, I want to go out with you. And she exclaimed, John, you are speaking distinctively and I can understand you perfectly. You have, you've had to have been practicing to talk like this. And John replied, I've been practicing for months. Well, just like that, John had a date with Mary Lou, and John became a preacher, and he married Mary Lou. You know why? It's because John had the power to dream and the power to take action. Now, I'm not here to say that all of our dreams are always going to come true. We do sometimes have limitations, and sometimes those dreams depend on other people. Mary Lou could have picked Joe over John. But one thing is true. Only those who have dreams receive their dreams. Go for it. Live it. What is your dream? What's the purpose that we're straining for? Paul continues on to tell us what the answer should be. And that brings us to number three. Aim heavenward bound. We need to aim heavenward bound. Paul says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. A few verses later, Paul will say in verse 20 that our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as we just talked about straining towards what we hope to accomplish, we have to have a goal in mind. We have to set goals. We have to be careful about our choices and what you decide is going to be your goal in life. The fellow who aims at nothing hits it every single time. I heard about a man who was coming into town and everywhere he looked, he saw a bullseye drawn on every single tree, everywhere. Right in the center of the bullseye would be an arrow. On and on, he just kept seeing it. When he got into town, he met some folks and he said, you know, one of the first things I'd like to do is meet this amazing archer you have. I've seen signs of his work all the way through town and I would just like to watch that man aim a bow and pull back and just let that arrow fly. I want to see that. They said, well, he's actually not that great of an archer at all. He's actually quite a lousy archer, but he is a great painter. He shoots and then paints. Well, he never knows where his arrow is going. He just doesn't know. Well, folks, we have to decide what we want to be and where we want to go and what we want to do. What are we aiming for? We become what we pursue. If we pursue worldly desires, then we'll end up with a worldly perspective. But pursuing Christ will result in growth in the character of Christ, in his love his grace, his mercy, his endurance, his values, his priorities, and his pursuits. The ultimate goal as a Christian is to join Jesus Christ, our Savior, in eternity and show his love to others here on earth so that they can join in on that glory as well. We are aiming for heaven.
the decision is yours. If so, we need to let go of the past, strain toward what is ahead, and aim heavenward. If you want to bring people to Christ, then action is the key. If you want to raise at your job, then action is the key. If you want better grades at school, action is the key. If you want to break a bad habit, action is the key. If you want to be a better husband or a better wife, well, you guessed it, action is the key. There was a man emerging from the airport to stand in the cab line, and Michael was shaking the travel cobwebs from his brain and looked up to see a bright and shiny taxi. The cab driver jumped out and said, Hi there, I'm Wally. While I load your luggage, I would invite you to read my mission statement. And Wally handed him a laminated card that read, Wally's mission statement, to get my customers to their destination in the quickest, safest, and cheapest way possible in a friendly environment. Now, Michael was kind of intrigued and noticed that the inside of the cab matched the outside. It was spotlessly clean. When Wally slid behind the driver's seat and asked if he'd like a regular or decaf coffee, Michael was thinking to himself, what is up with this guy? So he jokingly replied, well, I'm more of a soft drink kind of guy. Without missing a beat, Wally said, well, I have a cooler with soft drinks, energy drinks, juice, and water, so feel free to help yourself. Then Wally pointed to a stack of current magazines and newspapers and other books, and he said, I have the New York Times, USA Today, and a Bible if you'd like to do any reading. And he handed Michael another laminated card with a list of radio stations and asked if he'd like to listen to the radio. Let me know if you'd like me to point out the city's sights or if you'd prefer to be left in quiet, said Wally. Now at this point, Michael was absolutely blown away and he just had to ask with curiosity, have you always run your cab this way? Smiling into the rearview mirror, Wally said, no, in fact I haven't. I used to be like all the rest of the cab drivers, complaining and quacking like ducks. Then one day, I heard a motivational speaker who talked about being an eagle instead of a duck. He said, stop complaining. Don't be a duck. Be an eagle. Ducks quack and complain, but eagles soar above the crowd. I learned that eagles fly to a high spot and wait for the winds to come. When a storm hits, the eagle sets its wings so that the wind picks it up and it lifts it above the storm. The eagle uses the storm to lift it higher and stay above the fray. That really hit me between the eyes, said Wally, and I decided that day to become an eagle. I looked around at the other cabs and their drivers. Their cabs were dirty. They were nasty. The drivers were unfriendly and the customers were all unhappy. So I decided to make some changes. And when my customers started to respond well, I did even more. I take it that's paid off for you, Michael said. It sure has, Wally replied. My first year as an eagle, I doubled my income. This year, I'll probably quadruple it. My customers call me for appointments. It's up to each of us to decide if we want to be a duck or if we want to be an eagle. If you get up in the morning expecting to have a bad day, you will rarely disappoint yourself. It's all too easy to cluster with the other ducks, quacking, complaining about work and about life. But the eagle presents us with an opportunity to step out of the flock, look at the world from a higher vantage point, 
and rise above our self-imposed limitations. Each and every one of us wake up and are faced with a decision each day. What kind of day are we going to choose to have? Do we want to be the best we can be and be spiritually successful in our lives? What do you want to be remembered as? What do you want to be known for? For years, the airline industry referred to David Phillips as the pudding guy. That's because he had made the most of an airline promotion that offered frequent flyer miles for purchasing certain brand name products. He quickly spent $3,000 to buy 12,150 cups of pudding and in the process earned 1.25 million miles. For a time, it seemed as if his whole life revolved around getting frequent flyer miles. Well, as people observe our lives, what do they see as being the most important thing in life to us? Friends of the Apostle Paul had no trouble identifying the passion of his life. His walk matched his stated goal. One thing I do, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's example of single-minded devotion to Christ calls us to examine our own purpose and our priorities in living. What's important to us? For what purpose are we spending our lives? Do you want people to see you as successful? Do you want God to see you as successful? At the end of the day, success is defined by the world a whole lot different than the way God defines it. The devil and the rest of the world thought that they were successful at taking out Jesus. They killed him. They had defeated God, or so it appeared, when Jesus' body hung on the cross and he was sealed in the tomb. They were victorious. But here's a newsflash. God wins every time. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 56 and 57 says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, for us as Christians, no matter what stains our past, or whatever detour we might have to deal with, we can be successful because our eyes are fixated on Jesus, the perfecter of faith. And if you follow these steps that Paul has given us, then you'll find the way to a successful life in Christ. Maybe today you need to rearrange your priorities. Perhaps you need to stop dwelling in the past. Are you straining forward to the life that God has called you upward to? If you haven't already given your life completely over to Christ, why not do so today? When Peter spoke the truth to the Jews in Acts chapter 2, it says that they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why not come forward, repenting of your former ways, confessing His name, and being baptized, having your sins washed away? By doing so, you can start living your life according to His purpose today. Really appreciate you listening to another episode of Faith Over Fear. Talk to you soon.